Don't put all your eggs in one basket. This is a saying most of us have heard and followed as good advice. So why don't businesses follow it? Join us to find out on this edition of The Inside BS Show. Hey now, I'm Nikki G. This is The Inside BS Show, and I am here this morning with my partner, Dave Lorenzo. How are you, Dave? Hey now, Nikki G. I'm fantastic. How are you today? I am fantastic as well. Thank you for asking. We are talking about today, key value driver for your business, number eight, diversification of your business strategy. So oftentimes we think about diversification in all different areas of our personal lives, but not our business. So what am I talking about? Think about your financial portfolio, for example. I am sure you have heard and applied this term when you are diversifying your assets to make sure that you're fully protected in the event there's a fluctuation in the stock market or something happens with your retirement plan. So we need to think about it importantly for our business as well. So how do we do this? Think about the different areas in which your business is operating, markets, industries, suppliers, and practice diversifying within those different aspects of your business. So that's going to help you achieve a few things. First, it's going to reduce the risk of your business being hurt by something that is happen happening in any one of those areas. So if you are not diversified and you have all your eggs in one basket, something happens to a market or to an industry that can force your business to collapse. You also will benefit greatly from this. So if you are diversified, you can enjoy additional revenue streams for your business. You can increase the growth of your business and the long-term value, things that we talk about a lot in the context of exit planning. Hey, Nikki G, did you know you can also get our show as an audio podcast? Of course I know you can get the show as an audio podcast. I'm on it. But does our audience? I don't know. So those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search up the Inside BS Show with The Godfather and Nikki G, and you'll find us right there. Click the follow button so that you never miss a show. Now, there's a couple of reasons why you're going to want to do that. Nikki G, tell them what the first reason is. You get to ask us questions. That is exclusive to our podcast listeners. Yeah, we only answer listener questions on the audio version of the podcast. We don't do it on video. So if you want to hear what everyone's thinking, or if you want to ask us a question, you got to download the audio podcast. The second reason, and my favorite reason, is because you can take us with you. You can have a little Nikki G in your pocket while you're working out in the gym, washing the dishes, or walking the dog. I love me some Nikki G in my pocket when I'm walking the dogs. I don't know about you, Nicola, but that's one of my favorite things to do. Absolutely. Take us with you. After you watch this episode here on YouTube, go to wherever you get your podcast. Click the follow button so we can go with you on your journey and you can ask us questions. We will see you or more like hear you there. So let's dig into some of these different areas where you can diversify your business and talk about how and give you some examples to do that. The first area I mentioned was diversifying your markets. So you are operating in particular markets and you want to think about how can I expand those to better reduce that risk and increase my growth and value. A good example of this and an easy one we all can think about is Amazon. Amazon originally started selling books in the online market space. That's what they were known for. Now we think about Amazon for pretty much everything that we want to order online. I'm not sure what Amazon doesn't provide until I search and find something, which is 
Not often. You can buy clothes on Amazon. You can still buy books on Amazon. You can buy, you can buy houseware on Amazon. So that is a great example of a company that thought about what different markets can we enter into in case one of these particular markets should collapse. Online books, maybe that, that will change just like you know we did with bookstores and retail stores, and that became online books. So if you have an area of a particular market where it could be exposed to weaknesses, now your business will be able to continue generating revenue from these other markets so that you are not wholly dependent upon a single market in the event something happens to that particular market. What do you think about that, Dave? Yeah, I think you're right about that for sure. And when I think about markets, you know what I think of? I think about geographic markets. So think, for example, about us, right? You have a law firm that is based in South Florida. What happens if there's a hurricane here in South Florida and there's no power in Miami-Dade County for 10 days? Guess what? Your law firm, you're basically sitting on your hands for 10 days, probably with a battery-operated fan blowing in your face as you wait for the power to come back on. You need to diversify and have some work that you do outside of the state of Florida because we have an ever-increasing risk associated with storms that could potentially take your business offline for a period of time. Now, you can diversify that risk by having an off-site place where you can where you can work. So maybe you can go to a family's uh, you know house and work out of Pennsylvania if the you know if there's a storm coming and that's that's a legitimate option for you. You can still do Florida based legal work in Pennsylvania because there's internet access there. But think about a dry cleaner, right? We talk about the dry cleaning example all the time. Dry cleaners got four stores and they're in Miami-Dade County and Broward County, Florida, and a storm like Irma blows up the center of the state. And what happens? Miami-Dade County, Broward County, no power for six or seven days. That dry cleaner's got no revenue, no cash flow for six or seven days. So diversification of a specific market, also, you know, geography needs to be taken into consideration as well. If you are located in a specific geography and there are inherent legal risks with doing business in a specific geography. Think about the pandemic and gyms, right? Like workout facilities. Here in South Florida or here in the state of Florida, gyms were able to be open the entire, almost the entire time. They were closed for like two weeks. If you owned a gym in New York state or in the state of California, you're out of business. That's it. Two years. You were closed for two years. So geographic risk, market risk is real. As your business is maturing and you're starting to think about how much your business is worth, a buyer is going to price in any type of market-based risk. That's just, that's just a fact. So when, when you and I, Nicola, are looking at uh, business and we're talking to a business owner and we're looking at market industry and suppliers, we're going to point to any market risk that exists and if they don't want to open up a location outside of where there's geographic risk, they don't want to diversify, there are other ways to mitigate that risk, perhaps through insurance or perhaps through having a contingency plan like we talked about with your law firm for you going out to like Western Pennsylvania to operate your firm for the two weeks when there's no power after a hurricane. So when I think about market, in addition to uh, along the lines of product line, I also think of geographic markets as well. Yeah, a great example. I'm really glad to use the law firm because I lived through that. 
So I worked for a firm that had offices in other geographic locations, and we were hit by hurricanes. And most of us had to just park our work. I mean, you worked as long as your laptop was able to operate until that battery died, but you didn't have internet access. So we were able to shift that work to other markets to allow there to be no downtime of what was happening. So great example being able to do that. Now we talked about market diversification, Dave, but now let's let's focus on industry diversification. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, so when it comes to industry diversification, I'm not talking about your business, I'm talking about the industries your clients are in. So if, you're, if your clients are all in healthcare and a recession hits the healthcare industry, you've got a big problem because there's nobody who's going to spend money on your products or your services. If your clients are all in oil and gas and there's a huge shift to alternative energy and everybody's in into solar and wind and the oil and gas industry takes a 30% hit or a 40% hit and your services, your products are considered discretionary spending, nobody's going to be spending money on you. My rule of thumb is this. You want to take the the approach that you don't want any one industry to be more than 25% to be more than responsible to be responsible for more than 25% of your revenue. I I saw this firsthand in 2008. I got a call from a, a lawyer whose number one client was General Motors. And General Motors in 2008 had a huge credit issue and they filed for bankruptcy protection. And this guy called me and he said, I need you to help me find some business like tomorrow. And I I said, you should have focused on this 18 years ago. He's in practice for 20 years. And General Motors had been his biggest client for 18 years. And they were 90%, 90% of his business came from this one client. It would have been a big problem if more than 25% of his business came from the automotive sector. I was just three weeks ago, I was just down in Toledo, Ohio. And I was speaking to a room full of CEOs. And in that room, there was a uh, the CEO of a robotics company. And he made robotics for assembly lines for cars. And his top three customers were companies that made cars in the United States. And he was talking to me about a particular challenge he had. And I said, you know, it strikes me that what you're, what you're mentioning to me is a challenge, but I don't think it's your biggest challenge right now. And he said, what do you think my biggest challenge right now is? I said, it, your biggest challenge right now is the U.S. economy. If the U.S. economy goes in the tank, people are not going to buy American cars and they're not going to be making as many American cars on assembly lines and stuff is not going to break down and they're not going to need your robotics. So if I were you, I would be looking at foreign car manufacturers, like go up to Canada go to Europe, go to Asia, and offer your robotics to people in other countries. So he's heavily focused on that industry, but he can diversify that industry risk by spreading the risk out over different geographies. So a big rule of thumb for me, Nicola, is no more than 25% of your business coming from any specific industry. Now, if you're like this guy and your entire business is focused on making a specific thing for the automotive industry, I would say long-term, if you're really serious about maximizing the value of your company, and this is not a popular recommendation, but it's a sound one, you have to figure out what else you can manufacture for someone else in another industry with the material you have on hand or with the process you have on hand. 
So, you know, and he said to me, well, what, what do you mean? What else could I do? I said, maybe you could be a, a consultant to help people set up factories to build robots. And you could work with people in other industries uh, as a consultant to build factories for, you know, robotics in other industries. You've got to come up with some other type of revenue stream outside of what you're currently doing. And, he, you know, he pushed back and he said, this is all I know. This is the only industry I've ever worked in. And I said, look, I completely get it. I completely appreciate that. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it is what it is, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem. And I can give you another example. There's a, there's a, a an agriculture, an ag company that I work with here. The guy makes one plant. He, he raises one type of plant. He grows one type of plant. I don't want to, he's very, he's very well known. And so I don't want to, I don't want to out him, but he only grows one type of plant and he ships these plants all over the Southeast. He's even shipped them outside of the Southeast to like Southern California. He's the number one provider of these types of plants to the entire, basically to the entire nation, maybe even to the world. I don't know. Um, there's a huge amount of risk in that because he grows them here in the Redlands in South Florida. So a storm, big problem, right? So he's got, he's got specific geographic market risk. And then he's also got industry risk, one type of plant. That's it. Now he sells them to specific types of developers who develop different types of um, different types of commercial developments because these plants are really expensive, but they go really well in commercial developments. So he has diversified his risk when it comes to the different types of places he sells them to. But it's just this one type of plant grown in this one space. Huge amount of risk there. Yeah. So in both of your examples, you know, it, it requires some flexibility. So you may think that there's no other option, but in both of those, there's a core competency you mentioned. With a robotics person, it's robotics. And yes, while you're used to only working in the automotive industry, you could still take that skill set and apply that to another industry. Same thing with a plant. It's one type of plant. You could think about growing another type of plant and use something that may be a little bit similar so that you can extend those core competencies to another type of plant to provide that. So it's going to require some thought by you, some you know, additional development of strategy and flexibility to make that happen. But in the end, you're much more protected in the event something happens to the market or the industry, as we've now mentioned. You know, my my go to my go to for those folks, Nicola, is I say to them, OK, let's let's pretend you sold your business today. What would you do? And almost always they say, well, some sort of consulting. Well, what would you consult on? I would teach people how to set up a farm just like I did. And then I say, okay, how about we start doing that now? <laughs> how about we make that like 15% of your revenue now so that you could make it 45% of your revenue if your farm gets wiped out? Or you could make it 45% of your revenue if all of a sudden, you know, there's a, there's a disease that runs through the farm and the plants all die. You know what I mean? So... That's that question. What would you do if you sold this business usually prompts a different type of thinking. And I want to make something really, really clear, Nicola, before you move on to the to the final element of this. That is that these folks were highly successful because they only focused on one thing. Right. So this niche focus or if you're fancy, you want to say niche focus. Right. Is is what leads you to be successful when you're a startup. But at some point, 
you have to think about balancing the risk of only doing one thing in one place or having one type of customer with the health of your business overall. As a startup, go for it, pound away at that. In fact, the, the guy who's the, who's the farmer, the guy who grows the plants, he's the person who told me, he told me this 12 years ago. He said, I'm, so, I'm, I'm successful because I know what business I'm in. I'm in the business of growing this one plant and I sell it to commercial developers all over the place. They know me as the guy who sells this plant and I'm the guy who can get it to them. They tell me a season ahead of time how many they need. That's how many I get them. That's why I'm successful because I know what business I'm in. So I get it. I get it. But at some point when you're moving from startup phase into enterprise phase, you got to start looking at this risk and you got to assess it. And you have to realize that your business would be more valuable if this risk was diversified. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the third area, let me jump into that one that we haven't talked about yet, is diversity with respect to your suppliers and your supply chain. So let me use an example to, to discuss this subject area. So you've got a coffee roaster, for example, and let's use Seattle. Seattle is a huge, huge area for coffee roasters, um, achieved you know, much notoriety in that space for producing coffee. So you've got your supplier who's going to provide the cups for your coffee. What if you're only using one supplier? Well, let's think about that. What if the, the factory where the cups are coming from has a fire in the factory and now there's no cups? That could immediately shut down your business. When you've got demand, you're open every day, you only have so much supply, you don't have a warehouse where you're storing cups. If you are dependent upon only one supplier, that can be a significant risk for your business if anything happens to that supplier. So you need to have other ones that are already lined up, not ones that you're looking for in the moment something happens, but other ones who maybe you use them from time to time or you already have them arranged, set up, so that if something happens, you've got them there, you know that they can provide immediately to meet your needs so that your business does not have to shut down. So using that same example, let's think about the supply chain aspect of it. Where are your coffee beans coming from? So oftentimes you're relying on a supply chain to deliver the coffee beans that you are using to where you are in Seattle so you can then roast them and provide the coffee we all love. We all saw this during the pandemic. The supply chain was absolutely crushed by the pandemic and so many companies out there had to be flexible and resilient and figure out what they were going to do to get through that period of time and there weren't many options and what some of those roasters did in seattle was great so so they were able to work directly with uh, farmers and importers to get their coffee beans so just one way to, to be flexible and to find another avenue to still get what they needed but having that that plan in place to be able to look somewhere else and adjust is going to reduce your risk and help you move forward. Um, also thinking about, you know, where those beans are coming from. What if you're sourcing only from one country? We all love Colombian coffee, but what if all of your coffee supplies dependent upon beans coming from Colombia? What if there's a major weather event in the country that destroys the crops that are going to result in the coffee beans for your business? You ought to think about diversifying into another country where you would be able to have some other type of stream for your product so that you're not wholly dependent upon a particular source. So that's just a few examples of how you can use your diversification with suppliers and your supply chain. What do you think, Dave? I am going to pick up on your coffee example because I, <laughs> I had a client that had two specific issues related to this that will highlight other supply chain risks. Coffee manufacturer 
getting their coffee from Africa, somebody, most likely a competitor, went to the media, did a little bit of an investigation and found out, you know who was helping harvest the coffee beans? Slaves. Not good for business. All of a sudden, they couldn't use that vendor anymore. Could not use them because they were using slaves, literally using slaves to, to harvest the beans they were using in their coffee. Had, they had to pivot on their supply chain, on their supplier immediately, and it was not without downtime, and it was not without tremendous, tremendous expense, and the fact that they didn't vet the supplier in the first place, their brand took a huge hit. Same company, years later, <laughs> had a bribery issue with being able to do business in the country they were doing business with. Caused a transnational torts issue when it was revealed that they used a pay-to-play model to be the company that had access to the fields to be able to harvest the coffee. <laughs> so there are all sorts of, and by the way, that deal with the government was brokered by the place where they were sourcing the coffee beans. <laughs> so, I mean, there's there are all sorts of supply chain risks. You need to, I don't care if it's the best beans coming from this one location, like with wine, right? It's the best vineyard making this type of wine and it's because of the geographic makeup and you have to use this one vineyard. If there's a risk of anything happening, and we saw this happen in Napa Valley a couple of years ago with the fires, right? If that's the only place you're getting your wine, you've got big problems. So. It doesn't have to, you don't have to be like 50-50 with these suppliers. It can be 80-20, it can be 90-10. You just need to know that that 10% can be ramped up to 60 or 70% if they have to. And if it can't, then you should have 50-25-25 or 50-30-20. You should have multiple suppliers that could handle the situation for you. There is a huge advantage, and you know, in business they call it uh, favored nation pricing when you're buying all your stuff from one particular vendor. But the inherent risk in that is so great that what a lot of people will do is when they have a favored nation pricing deal with somebody, they also reserve the right to start their own line of production for that thing that's being supplied so that if they had to they could do it they could do it themselves. We did this when I was at when I was at Marriott with the Executive State brand in New York City, we had a huge problem with outside vendors who are cleaning our apartments, so we started our own housekeeping business and we were using our own housekeeping business to do 50% of the apartments and we had like six vendors we were using for the other 50% and eventually it just worked so well that we took we ended up taking it all over but it started as a hedge so that we wouldn't have supply chain issues. Uh, I mean, it, that is a risk that nobody thinks about. And in the day and age where we're only a year out from you know, massive COVID issues, you gotta be thinking about that because there were, there were massive, massive supply chain issues all throughout COVID that rippled through the system for a year afterward. So supplier diversity is a huge, huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. There are, there are only a few companies that really weathered that storm flawlessly whenever those issues hit. And if anything, the pandemic taught us so many lessons about you know, not just supply chain, but how to like really be flexible with our business, how to think about it in advance so that we're not kind of caught in the next big thing that might happen, whether it's a pandemic. I know it's an extreme example, or it's you know, some sort of like market impact like 9-11. 
You know, so we're not we, we're already prepared for those types of events that might hit us. You know, think of it this way. If you were sourcing uh, parts of your product from China and you were selling to China during the pandemic, you got crushed because you couldn't manufacture and then you couldn't sell to like the largest market on the planet because all of China was shut down for a really long time. So sometimes we're victims of our own success and we keep pouring gas into the engine to go as fast as we can in one direction. And that's fine as long as you understand that without that supplier diversity, the market diversity, the industry diversity, it's going to have an impact on your business because who, a sophisticated buyer is going to discount the value of your business because of the lack of diversity. Even a lender, I've seen people have trouble getting credit because there was a lack of diversity, particularly among clients or, I haven't seen it because of vendors, but clients or uh, market, especially geographic diversity, lenders are really hesitant. Uh, they're, they're, they, they won't lend into an environment where there's not enough diversity because they don't want their interest rates being paid. They don't wanna not get distributions for a period of time because of some sort of an event that stops production or an event that stops people from being able to sell. So you, you heard it here, diversify your business strategy to protect it against risk of events happening that can harm your market, your industry, and your suppliers and supply chain. This is Key Value Driver number eight on the Inside PS show. If you enjoyed today's show, watch another episode. We'll be back here tomorrow. I'm Nikki G, and you are? Dave Lorenzo, the godfather of growth. Tell your friends, watch more shows. See you tomorrow. <laughs>